Hi, I'm Blake Mykoski, the founder and chief shoe giver of Tom's, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. Hey, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today, I'm here with Blake at Tom's headquarters. Blake, thanks for having me. Ah, uh, so glad you're here. I usually ask my guests, how'd you get this job? Yeah, well, um, I had the greatest job in the world, I think, um, and I guess the way I got it is I invented it. Um, so it all started 12 years ago when I was on a farm in Argentina. I saw many children down there that didn't have shoes, and I wanted to do something to help. And so my background was not in philanthropy or in, in charity. My background was as an entrepreneur. And uh, so I've always had thought about using entrepreneurship to solve problems, usually commercial problems. But in this case, I wanted to solve a societal one and uh, created this, this idea that if we could sell a pair of shoes today, we would give away a pair of shoes tomorrow. And we actually called them tomorrow's shoes at first, but then that was too long for the tag. So like, here my shoe here, I tried to put tomorrow's into there and it didn't fit, so I named it Tom's. That's awesome. Let's go back on the timeline a little bit, yeah. back to young Blake. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, when I when I was younger and I thought about a career, or like you know, like in like elementary school or whatever, they ask you, you know, what you want to be. Um, I always said a fireman, um, and it actually is two things. It was it was it was either want to be a fireman or want to be a truck driver. But I like like the idea of driving a big truck. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and I think I also like the idea of kind of like helping people, but also the idea of traveling to new places. Um, and uh, my dad was a doctor, my grandfather was a doctor, my aunt was a nurse. Everyone in my family was in the medical profession, um, but it never really spoke to me. Did they try and persuade you to go a certain no. direction in life, like you know, take up law or go for med medicine? Or? That's one of the things I'm really thankful for. Is my parents were both like incredibly supportive of whatever I wanted to do. I ended up, you know, going to, you know, college on a tennis scholarship and then I had an injury and I dropped out of college and I started this laundry business, which was my first company. And you know, most parents I think if you if you called them and said, you know, I'm dropping out of this wonderful university um, to do people's laundry, uh, I think they would have a little bit of a pause, but my parents were like, well, if that's you want, you want to do and, and, and you feel that's a way to build a career, then great. And so they were very supportive that's of awesome. my earlier entrepreneur days. But you had, you know, you were planning a, maybe a pro-athletic career, yeah? Sure, yeah. I mean, my whole life, and, I'm, and, I, and I attribute a lot of the work ethic and the discipline and the elements that make an entrepreneur successful to my my, my training as a, as, a, as a young tennis player. I actually lived at a tennis academy at age 15, moved away from home, you know, started training at five every single morning, you know, like not going to the movies with friends on Friday and Saturday nights and still training. Like, I was a very, very disciplined. I always say that like I had, my work ethic in my tennis career is the only reason it got as far as it did. I had very little talent, but I had a lot of work ethic. And uh, so that's how I at least got to the college level. Well, and maybe, as I get to know you, maybe you can add heart to that. Yeah. It's one of the things coaches talk a lot about, like you can't teach. You can't teach heart. Yeah. You know, work ethic, uh, like that movie Rudy comes to mind. Uh, I love Rudy. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, and they I think about, it's the only movie I've ever like really like, cried in like hard. Like I just, like that movie hit me so hard. It might be one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And it's because he's all heart, right? Yeah. He plays with his heart. 
I think I think I self-identify a lot with that character, um, and and that's why that movie was such an important. I mean, literally, like it's funny. I think back to like early days, like when we had MySpace pages, and you had like favorite movie. Mine was always Rudy. So <laughs> it's interesting you brought that up. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we can dig into that too. The 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 psyche of that, or the interesting psychological uh, implications too, about you know being an underdog yep. and you know. Um, uh, being gritty and maybe having uh, not success along the way. But I also wanted to ask, so when you got injured, how did you feel? Because that must have been devastating. You know, you yeah. put in all that time, yeah. you're away from home, you're basically, you know, like David Beckham, yeah. you know, in, in soccer academy for yeah. his youth, and then it all falls apart. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Um I often uh, cite that great Garth Brooks song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, um, because, you know, I, I was literally devastated and praying that my leg would heal and I'd get back on the court and that I would be able to resume this career. And then at a point, it became very clear that that just wasn't going to happen. And at that same time, that led to the founding of my first business, which was the laundry business. And the reason I got in the laundry business is I was on crutches and I literally couldn't carry my laundry down to the facility. And this is back when we had the Yellow Pages before Google. And so I looked in the Yellow Pages for someone to come pick up my laundry, and there was no one to do that. And so um, I thought, you know, well, this should be a business. Like, so a lot of people probably would love their laundry to be picked up. And so, so this injury that seemed so tragic um, actually was the impetus of my entrepreneur career, which I am incredibly deeply grateful for because I realized that that was really my gift and my calling. Um, maybe all the tennis and all the athletics and, and the training was actually exactly that, training so that I would have these, these skill sets and this self-reliance. This self uh, tennis is an individual sport. Being an entrepreneur can be very lonely. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think a lot of that was in training for me to be able to, you know, really um, thrive as an entrepreneur. That's good stuff. How long did it take you to come to that realization? I mean, maybe uh, the injury itself, yeah. you, you figured, okay, my career's over. But like, from the time that you realized it's over to the day that you reinvented yourself how uh, long was many that? years yeah, yeah yeah I don't think I don't think I was able to really look back on that with that 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 sense of gratitude that I have now to the injury and that sense of thanking God for unanswered prayers um, until years years later you know I think it was it was very painful to not be able to play um, even after I started the laundry business even after it became successful uh, it took time to really look back on that with kind of a different set of eyes What's your perspective on it now as you reflect? Was that a, because um, I'm not necessarily a everything happens for a reason guy. Mm. I, think, uh, I think that sometimes I'm sure there's a higher power involved. Yeah. You know, I'm a spiritual guy. Yeah. Uh, but I also recognize that just stuff happens because you're at the right place or the wrong place mm. at the right time or the wrong time. Um, what's your perspective though on that now? Like. So I'm a very much everything happens for a reason guy. Okay. And even more so every day now, and I journal a lot, and that's been something I've been doing since I'm 15. And if I go back and read journals, I can see unbelievable things that I've written that literally come true six months later. I mean, in a way that, that like freaks me out. I mean, this is the craziest thing that's happened recently, okay? Yeah. And, and I've never shared this with one. This happened last week, okay? So 
about three years ago, I just randomly was looking at a Patagonia catalog. And on the cover of the catalog was this snowboarder making this beautiful turn in like deep powder in Japan. And, and I love snowboarding. I've been snowboarding since I was 13. I've never once taken a, um, like a tear it out a picture from a magazine or catalog. But I had this vision board in my, in my home office where I put things that I really want to kind of like have my life vision be a part of. And energetically, like I feel like there's everything that I put up there somehow becomes important in my life. And so I took this thing three years ago and I posted it on there. And I did it because I was like, A, I want to be able to snowboard like this someday. And B, I would love to be able to go to Japan and experience that weightlessness of the powder, right? That was my thought. So I put it up there three years ago. So um, recently, my wife and I are spending a lot more time in Jackson Hole. And about two weeks ago, I got introduced to this pro snowboarder named Alex Yoder. And, um, and someone just because like, you guys are very soulfully connected. Like he's a very soulful guy. He's creating this whole coffee company to be producing or promoting regenerative farming and agriculture. Like you guys should ride together. And I was like, wow, I get to ride with a professional snowboarder. Like it's so cool. And so I go riding. He's actually giving me some tips, and like I'm loving it. And and he. Um, and, and, and so then, like, the next day, like, we, he comes over for dinner, and his girlfriend, like, he's become, like, my new buddy, and, like, and I'm really, like, kind of helping him with his business now, and he's helping me with my snowboarding, and which kind of my wife's, like, say this is, like, my total man crush, right? Like, we're really, like, kind of, you know, really bonding fast, and so um, literally, this happened a couple days ago when I was in Jackson, he said, video me doing this like turn and because and, I want to show you on something you can do better on your snowboarding technique. So I video him and I'm looking at the video and I look down and it, there was this moment in his turn that looked so familiar. <laughs> and I went to him and I said, Alex, this is a crazy question, but have you ever been on a cover of a Patagonia catalog? And he said, yes, once, three years ago. And so he has been I know, right? It's crazy. Like, it literally <laughs> has been on my vision board for three years. I never knew why. And now he's like my new best friend in Jackson who I'm helping him build his business and he's helped me snowboard. So I do feel like I have so many experiences like that that have my life, whether you call it manifesting or everything happens for a reason, where I can look back and say, okay, I, learned, I met that or I learned that person so I could learn this. And this thing happened, which seemed to be a tragedy or a downturn because it opened the door to this. And, and literally, I can weave my whole life. And so now, like even with the most recent stuff that's happened, you know, in our, in our campaign in gun violence, like it's like, oh, I was being prepared for this. So as you're telling me the story about your injury, there's a signal. Yeah. It's obvious and yeah. physical. Yeah. But like, you know, it should get your attention mentally like, okay, you need to start shifting your focus elsewhere. Sure. And, and I guess the lesson is what I want to point out and underscore for the audience. I think a lot of people like me um, will try and just put that, you know, square peg in the round hole yeah. until it jams in there. And maybe there is a better place for it to fit. Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting thing for entrepreneurs and athletes to really be able to think about. And that is, when is it a point in time where you just need to push harder and work harder to achieve the goal? And when is it a time when you're putting a square peg in a round hole? And what I talk to, when I talk to entrepreneurs and I speak at colleges, I say, you know, like, when you have your business idea, if, if, it, if it doesn't pretty quickly, like, 
find an audience and, and one that is like, yes, I'm in, I want to be a customer, it might be a square peg in a round hole. Now, to make your idea successful creates a tremendous amount of pushing and pushing and pushing. But just the general idea, like if you can't find an audience or a customer base pretty quickly, be like, that's genius, or I want that, or I've always needed a watch like that, or I've always, you know, like, then I think, you know, sometimes people waste a lot of time and money trying to market an idea that doesn't have a natural home. And so, um, so I think that there is a lot to um, being able to decipher the difference between when you just needs a little bit more effort or when you're trying to do something that probably isn't the right use of your time or energy or skills. That's a great point. Um, and it's something I think about all the time is how long do you give this with quotes, great idea yeah, yeah. until you cut bait or if, yeah. should you push through? Um, let's talk about some of the other things that we should be measuring. Cause I think a lot of us, me included, get stuck on the vanity metrics. Mm. Uh, I think it was someone at Netflix was famous for saying, when someone asked them, you know, show us the analytics um, for a particular show, you know, how many people are downloading, how many people are watching, how many hours, and they're like, listen, that's not a really good measure of whether or not something is great or not. Mm. You know, sometimes it takes a while to develop the characters or develop a show or, you know, so they don't share metrics as openly say as like a Nielsen rating or something yeah. like that f for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, and they've had a lot of great success I sure. think, because of it. But what are some of the other things that we should be, you know, think about people who have their own businesses that are yeah. either starting something causal like mm -hmm. you're doing, we'll yeah. talk in a second, but also just trying to build a brand. What, sh what else should we be looking at and measuring? I think one of the most important things to measure is how many people are evangelical about your brand. Like it's so passionate that they just have to share it. Like, yeah. like because as like Seth Godin writes in the, in the book Tribes, which I love, it's like you don't need that many people to build something really big. You just need enough people who are just all in. And so I think that's one of the metrics that, that really um, made Tom's grow so fast. Like one of my favorite stories is like in the first three or four months after starting Tom's, I was in New York City and I ran into this girl in the airport and she was wearing a red pair of Tom's. And um, I had never seen a stranger wearing our shoes. So imagine this, like I you know, started this company, I'm in my apartment here in Venice, I'm in New York trying to get more stores to buy the shoes, actually totally struck out, I was not having a good day, I go to American Airlines, I'm checking in, and there's this woman, mid-30s, you know, wearing a pair of red tops. It's like a singer hearing yeah, her first song on the radio. radio. Exactly. Yeah, it's awesome. And so I hear this, and I or hear this. I see this, and I say to her, um, I couldn't help but noticing these awesome red shoes. You know, what are they? Because I'm curious to hear her story of how she got them. Like, where did she get them? Yeah. And and so, but at the same time, I don't want to give away who I am. So she looks at me and she says, "They're Toms." And I was like, oh, cool. And I'm doing the check-in, you know, still. And she really wanted my attention. So she literally physically grabbed my shoulder as a stranger in the airport and said, no, you don't understand. This is the most amazing company in the world. When I bought this pair of shoes, they gave a pair to a child in Argentina. And there's this guy who started the company. He lives in Los Angeles. I think he lives on a boat. <laughs> I mean, literally, she started telling me, like, my life story, word for word, like, more passion than my mom tells it, right? She was and invested. She was invested. Yeah. And so I said to her, this is the kind of the funny part of the story, I said to her, I said, you know, I had to tell her who I was, right? So I said, uh, actually, you know, I'm Blake. I started Tom's. And she looks at me like deer in headlights. And she goes, 
why did you cut your hair? <laughs> that was her one question. Because I had like long hair in the, in the uh, YouTube videos that she saw me giving shoes away, and then I cut it that summer. But the thing is, my point in sharing that is, is I recognize at that moment that if we had enough of those people, like who were talking, telling our story to strangers in the airport, that if we could just really focus on that metric, of having as many of those people involved in Tom's and actually equipping them by taking them on giving trips and, and giving them you know, access to me and, and the whole thing, they would build the movement at Tom's. And I think that's you know, how we scaled and you know, grew you know, so fast in, in such a short period of time. Yeah, and I think they call that a groundswell or you know, it, you know, it goes viral or yeah, whatever. But it's an important put. metric because yeah. I think a lot of people focus on numbers and volume, but it's actually, if you take some time to build that really, really committed small base, they will build it for you. And I think that's, you know, that's a really, really important thing that we're constantly, even now that we've grown so much, trying to still figure out how do we do that. Well, stay on Tom's for a second. What mistakes did you make early on? You know, mm. corporate responsibility was not buzzy or popular no. when you started it. No. I mean, you're sort of the poster child, right? You <laughs> no. know this. No one, yes, yes. It was not a, it was a very lonely place back then, for sure. And I'm sure people called you crazy, yep. and leaving money, all that stuff. But yeah. like, what mistakes now here we're talking, you know, decades later? Sure. No, I'm not that old. Come on. <laughs> one decade later. Um, the biggest mistake, is, and it almost sunk the company, uh, and it's a story uh, that I love telling because I think it's, it's, it's indicative of what we were trying to do, but also um, what to watch out for when you're making big change. So actually, what most people don't know about Tom's is that there are two things that I was trying to do with starting Tom's. One, help kids get shoes. And two, I absolutely was like detested the amount of waste that the shoe industry created with all these cardboard boxes. So the original Toms had no boxes. They were just shoes, they were rubber band together, and then there was an organic um, kind of recycled linen bag that they came in. And it was beautiful, and it was raw, and it came from Argentina, and I loved it. And that's how we started. And so when I would go into my pitch, I'd say, we do two things. We help kids get shoes every time you buy a pair, and we create no unnecessary waste with boxes which I was very proud of. That worked great in our D2C business because we would ship them you know, to, to them in the, in the packer. But when I got into Nordstrom's the first time, they said, we love what you're doing. We're gonna carry you. Like, we never like, come into a brand this early, but we really believe in this, but we need boxes. And I looked at the Nordstrom buyer, and, and I was so naive and cocky and all these things back then. I said, well, then we won't do business together. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, like, we don't do boxes. And they're like, we're Nordstrom. Like, 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 you know, we have a supply chain. We have these things, the shelves, da, da, da. And I'm like, look, if you want to do business with us, it's the bags. And so luckily, because I think we had this article in Vogue and we were pretty hot and everyone was, they said, okay, let's try it. You know, see if it works. So we went in there and they put the bags and they had a string and then this tag. And they put them into the shelves and just like they predicted, within a week they were so tangled that no one could sell a pair of shoes. Yeah. I mean literally like the box is so important to how shoes get stacked and sold. And so our sales the first week were off to a great start. The second week they went to zero. I mean like not just like <laughs> a couple pairs, like zero, plummeting. So I would never forget, I went to this store in New Jersey and I was, I was, I was traveling then at the time living on an Airstream, like selling shoes out of the back of it. And I went to this Nordstrom, I'm like, what happened? Like, you sold like 30 pairs last week in zero. He's like, 
we can't, this, oh, these bags are tangled, da, da, da. So literally, we got kicked out of Nordstrom's. So like, <laughs> literally, like, we told you, like, you know, come back to us when you have boxes. And so it took us like six months, A, to get the box right, and then B, to like convince them to give us another chance. But I mean, like, luckily they gave us another chance. Um, but yeah, like, so what my, so that was the biggest mistake we made because it almost, we almost like literally sunk the business with Nordstrom. And B, but it was also one of the great lessons is like, there are some things in every industry that we would all probably like to change, but just aren't worth like the bigger picture. Like, like, I never would have been able to give 88 million shoes to children around the world had I stuck with the bags. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes and good lessons I learned. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that story. And it's all about, you know, upside versus downside, right? Yeah. You can stick to your guns, stick to your, you know, your values or what you think is right. But sometimes you have to be a little bit more adaptable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also have to be. I think what I didn't understand then is I was so focused on the environmental issue of using boxes and not doing it and not doing it, things like every other company did. But I think I also was not um, humble enough to really try to understand why the box existed. You know, like, well, it wasn't like it was irresponsible, like throwing plastic in the ocean or something. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. You know, like turtles weren't dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could recycle you that could box. Recycle, yeah. And, yeah, and and it wasn't. And so I, I was, I, I was willing to fall on the sword for something that I really didn't understand why the sword existed. So, yeah, yeah. That that is a good lesson. So whenever I get really like, I, my dad has a saying about me. He says, "Often wrong, but never in doubt." And so um, I take that, like, the fact that he says that a lot and other friends now say that, like, I take that, you know, as something that, okay, that is potentially a, a flaw that I need to be aware of. And so now whenever I feel really strongly about something, you know, I had to ask myself, like, am I doing, a, is this a box situation or is this worth really putting everything into? I've heard you tell the story, but maybe you could retell it here about why now is the time to take a stand and as a company, as a brand, sure. get behind trying to eliminate gun violence. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was, I know it wasn't a case of like determining now is a good time and more a very visceral, um, spontaneous response to a tragedy that happened close to my family. So, you know, I remember when Parkland happened and just in, in, in watching the Parkland kids on the debate on CNN and just how just like um, how, how, how strong uh, their voices were for needing a change and having um, gun legislation really looked at in a more sensible way. And I remember watching that and thinking, good for those kids. I support what they do. I signed up to get the text messages. You know, that was that. Then I remember hearing about the next shooting and the next shooting. And I remember feeling of, a feeling of like, this is, this is kind of like a really horrible thing that's going on in our country, but it never was a personal thing to me. It never was something like, oh, I'm gonna go get involved in right. that, right? And then in November 8th, so you know, not that long ago, um, there was a shooting in Thousand Oaks, which is about 20, 15, 20 minutes from my house. And I didn't know about it because uh, it had happened that night and I was on my way to work the next morning. And my wife called me and I was in the back of the Uber working on some emails, kind of pretty focused on work. And so I answered the phone and she's like really, really emotional. And she says, did you see the news? And I said, no. And she said, there was another shooting. You know, this time it happened literally just down the street from us and I'm not taking our son to school today. And I was like, why? 
And she's like, I don't think it's safe. There has been shootings in schools. There was one in a yoga studio. There was one in a synagogue. Like, how do I know that someone's not going to come in to his preschool, which is a Jewish preschool, and pull out a gun? And I was like, well, babe, we don't, you don't know that. But you, you can't, like, you know, make every decision out of fear because of this happened close to us. And then I started really understanding, like, where she was was probably where a lot of people were at this point because it had gotten so many shootings that their proximity was probably 15 minutes from a lot of people. Well, it's just so pervasive, so ridiculous. Yeah. So, so, we, so she gets off the phone, and she says to me, she says, you know, someone has to do something about it. And it was one of these moments, and I didn't even have this moment when I started Tom's. A lot of people ask me when I started Tom's, like, did you have, like, an epiphany? Was there, like, a vision? Was there a note from God? Like, what was it that caused you to go from, like, an entrepreneur who just was starting businesses to make money to, like, I want to create a company to help people? And it was actually, no, it's like a creative idea. Like, could be interesting. Let's make 200 pairs. Let's see what happens. It's an experiment. Yeah, it's an experiment. But this moment is the moment that people have been asking about my whole life, if I've had, and now I can say I did have it. And that was, I got off the phone, I shut my laptop, and I just knew that that someone was me. I didn't know why, I didn't know how, but I knew that, like, I had a platform and Tom's as my business had a reach that could make a difference in this topic. Yeah. I didn't know how exactly, but I knew that we needed to do something. Like, because at Tom's, we have given so many shoes and so many people their eyesight through our, our sunglass program, but we've been like itching for the past couple of years to do something bigger, to do something different, to do, take a stand on something. And so it was already kind of in my head, like we need to do something that is relevant to the issues of our time. And it was just all this like, this is it. Like if there's a time, Let's do it now. Now, it was incredibly inconvenient because it was a week before um, Black Friday and Cyber Week, our biggest sales week of the year. And it was also very inconvenient because, you know, we, our business was not in a place where we could just afford to give up sales to dedicate all of our attention to ending gun violence. Sure. But I just knew that this was something we had to do. So I sent an email to our board, um, to my partners, uh, to our CEO, and said, Guys, like, if not us, who? If not now, when? You know, that, that, that great Jewish proverb. And, and, and over about three or four days, I convinced them that this, you know, by no means I was convincing them that this would be great for business, but I, I knew that it would be the right thing for our staff because, I, I mean, it happened so close. Like, I think they were feeling very much the same way my wife was, and I knew that it would be a way that it would re-engage a lot of the people um, who maybe were with us in the beginning of Tom's because we were truly an activist brand. And I think we started as an activist brand. We were very radical, as you said. No one was doing this. And then six years later, we were a big brand, and everyone was doing some form of giving. Yeah, everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah. And so yeah. this would be a way to shock the system and be like, holy shit, like, Tom's is really going out there now on a limb. And... And, and I knew that we needed to do that. Like something in my gut just said, this is what we need to do. And I knew we could be impactful because I learned about some of the things that were happening in the, in the gun violence space. Specifically, I learned about universal background checks. And I learned about that on day two. And when I learned about that, I recognized, okay, there is a very moderate, non-political, because 90% of Americans are in favor of universal background checks, way to approach this. I want to go back to when you approach the board about yeah. this, because there might be some lessons or, or nuggets there sure. for other people who are trying to 
you know, maybe go against the grain or buck the system or do yep. something different. Um, what kind of pushback did you get and how hard did you have to wrestle? Like, did you have to, did you have to talk about numbers? Like, wait, we're going to lose this much, but it's worth it because, or like, did you just have to say, this was the right thing to do. I know it in my gut. Yeah. Gut, guts don't really work real well with boards, yeah, so, <laughs> especially financial partners. So unpack that a little yeah. bit so, so others can learn sure. the same kind of exercise. I, I, I think the, the biggest thing was the board questioned, and I think they were, um, they were mistaken at first in thinking that we did not have the right or the, or, uh, the, or the credibility to play in this space. So they basically said, look, there are every town and, and March for Our Lives and Mothers Demand Action and amazing nonprofits that have dedicated tens of millions of dollars in years to trying to have sensible gun legislation. Yeah. You are not a political person. I'm not at all. Like, I didn't even know who Mitch McConnell was when this started. Like, I mean, that's how non-political I, I am. So, like, you're not political. Tom's is not a political brand. Like, we've never done anything about gun violence. How do we go from giving shoes to kids to taking us down gun violence? Like, I just don't understand how the customer is going to understand this. And, and, and that was their position. And so they said, like, personally, we totally agree on this. Like, yeah. actually, some of our board members are really big donors to every town and other organizations. They're like, but I just don't see how Tom shows up here. Well, and it does sound like a fair and logical argument. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah. But my argument back was Tom's is not a shoe company. We are a movement when we are best. And we exist for a better tomorrow. It's in our name. It's the reason I started Tom's. I just use shoes for the last 12 years to fund the idea that we can create a better tomorrow through business. And I believe that if we take a stand and make a big contribution, which turned out to be the largest contribution in the history of the United States to this issue, that we can create a better and safer tomorrow. And that's the business that we're in. And so that's ultimately what I had to convince them, that our business was bigger and had, a, and, 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 and had permission to engage in a topic like this, even though it wasn't obvious, like when you looked at it on paper. And I think the only reason that I ultimately won it was going back to the gut thing, which I say is not the thing I led with, because no one, I don't think has a good argument. But ultimately, we had to look each other in the eyes, and I said, guys, you invested in me, and you supported me up until this point. And I've never, in the because I've been with these partners for four years, I've never said we have to do anything. I've actually changed some of my ideas and strategies and philosophies based on your guidance. I said, but this is the time, I might be the only time where I'm telling you every single thing in my body says we have to do this now. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but because it will re-engage and re-motivate this movement. And, uh, and I think that conviction was stronger than their conviction of, I don't know if we can play here. You went to the mat. I love it. <laughs> went to the mat. I love it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I heard about it, it's, it struck a chord right away for two reasons. One, because I've got kids. Mm, yeah, and That's and one of the main, yeah. It's been on my mind constantly. Sure. Um, and the other thing is, about 10 years ago, I had a gun violence experience where it was right when I was starting my production company, we were in this small little studio space. It was like eight o'clock at night. Four or five of us were in the office, just sort of editing. I hear this loud crash. Walked out front, kind of in the front lobby area, to figure out what it was. Three really big guys, all tatted up, 
no masks or anything, come barreling in with guns, guns ablazing. The gun was put right to my forehead. Um, told me to you know get corralled all of us into this room, put us kind of execution style on the ground. And for a minute, I thought, okay, I'm I'm gone. Yeah. Like, I just sort of made some generalizations, like no no mask or cover up. Okay, these guys don't care yeah. who sees them. Yeah. Does that mean I'm going to die tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and I remember we kind of looked at each other on the ground, thinking, should we do something? Get yeah. up and fight for our yeah. life, yeah. or it was cool. And it was it was a moment of you know very uh, surreal is the best way to explain it. Sure. But also terrifying. But at that moment, I sort of felt calm, like, yeah. just chill out. Let like, yeah. Just let them take what they're going to take. Anyway, so, uh, and it was terrifying, too, because they took my ID and they read it out loud. And they said, you know, my name and they read off my driver's license, my address. Yeah. And if you call the police, we're coming to get you, all that kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it was like, oi, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was heavy. But, you know, so ever since, um, you know, that was a moment. Every time I see one of these shootings happen or, you know, I sort of, think about that and I think how terrifying it is and how awful it is that this is still such a yeah. big problem in the United States. Yeah. And I'm so happy, you know, I signed up on the site, I went, you know, did my postcard. Great, thank you. So tell us what the vision is for yeah. that. So you're now gonna go in this sort of caravan, right? In yeah. This, yeah, it's uh, wrapped and I mean, so yeah, so what we recognized with this idea that universal background checks was a very simple, very moderate, kind of the least political, polarizing part of the Indian Gun Violence Initiative. It's a good place to start. Yeah, because it basically keeps felons from buying guns, yeah. people who are domestic abusers, and people who have mental health issues. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, if, 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 if you're not one of those three, then you will pass your background check and you can buy a gun. Yeah. But those three contribute to a lot of gun violence, and so, especially the, the felons aspect. And so one of the things that we recognize is Every, that this was going to be legislation that would be presented in the House in 2019. And the only way that it would get passed in a bipartisan way, which is going to potentially allow it to become a law, is if Americans in every state and every territory made their voices heard. Hey, I'm a proud gun owner, but I'm also a father to a young son. And I don't want him going to school scared. So if you're like me, you're like 90% of other Americans who want universal background checks. I just saw a statistic that said there were 307 mass shootings in the last 311 days in our country, which is terrifying and devastating. And as a proud gun owner myself, that's a right and a privilege that I take very, very serious, as I know a lot of you guys do too. Um, but I think we can all come together and all agree that something has to change. Um, it's unacceptable. We shouldn't have to walk out of the house and live in fear anymore. Um, so let's come together as a country. Let's do our part. Um, Tom's is doing a really cool campaign right now to raise awareness uh, for universal background checks. And I know there's a lot of factors that's going to go into uh, really making some change, but this is an easy thing that we can all do. And when I spoke to different people, because I had no political background at all, I said, what can we do? What can Tom's do? I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to get $5 million, largest contribution ever to these nonprofits. But what can we actually do to, to affect the politics of this? And one of the people that I was speaking to, he said, postcards. He says, old-fashioned postcards. He says, when those representatives get a lot of postcards and they're from people in their constituency, they listen. So I just have this vision of Miracle on 34th Street <laughs> where they come in and they pour all yeah. the envelopes yeah. from Santa. Is yeah. that the intention? Yeah, that's the intention. So what okay. we started with was we built a simple technology on the website. 
on the homepage during Black Friday and Cyber Week. So we gave up a lot of sales to have this as the main real estate. And in 30 seconds or less, and still today, for the next couple of weeks, you can still do it. You I can, did it. It is oh, fast. Yeah, you did, yeah. yeah, you go to the website, you put in your name, name and address. It's and all it, basically yeah, turnkey. It's, it's super simple. So in yeah. 30 seconds, you can do it. So we've had 716,000 Americans and yourself do postcards. That's, I mean, phenomenal. I mean, that's a massive amount of people to speak out so clearly about something. Well, and so quickly. Yeah, and so in eight weeks. Yeah, you mobilized. Yeah, almost you know, a million people in eight weeks. That's that, crazy. That we, that without any marketing either. I mean, this all happened virally. Like we were literally, I, I launched it on Jimmy Fallon and he sent the first postcard, which helped because then 50,000 people did it immediately. Yeah. But then from those 50,000, th- it just grew. And, and so... Well, talk about signals. I mean, that's... That's a signal, right? Yeah. Like the people have spoken kind of signal. Yeah. And like- so now what, and I take no responsibility for this great idea. This was, the, this was the creative team at Tom's. They said, you know what? To send 716,000 postcards is going to cost us, you know, like a quarter of a million dollars. What if we drove all those postcards across the country and hand-delivered them to the 500 representatives in Congress? That would be more impactful. And it would cost us less money. Yeah. I said, and you create Great. a spectacle. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing. So we launched it today. Um, the tour is going to go on for about two and a half weeks. We're going to be in Washington, D.C., February 5th. And so if you're watching this right now and you want to come join us, please do. We hope that there'll be thousands of volunteers that will help us hand deliver these postcards on February 5th. And, uh, and we believe, because that's going to be about two to three weeks before the vote. So we believe that will be a, a really uh, important indicator and, 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 and influence on many of the votes that will happen for universal background checks. That's amazing. It's well, been fun. Well, we're certainly going to help support it.